A few weeks ago, we started on this series of what the world needs now. And today, uh, just like we've been talking about, we talked about, I believe we've been in 2 Timothy, about the last days. And today we'll be in Galatians 5, 16 through 23. And what we're going to look at is to see how a life without the Holy Spirit in control versus a life who, of course, doesn't, we're going to see what that difference is for one. And then two, we're going to look at what is our responsibility as the body of Christ. Because, you know, there really are and there really should be a difference. Now, title of the series we're on is What the World Needs Now. The title of my message is Lifestyles of the Rich and Not So Famous. Okay. Back in 1984 to 1995, that's a long time ago right now. For you young kids, you probably don't even know. Most, how many of you, honestly, were born after 1984? You missed it. You missed it. If you do not remember the show, and I, if you can tell my title, what's, what's the show I'm talking about? Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It showcased some of the wealthiest people in the world, okay? It has celebrities and, you know, owners of big corporations and that kind of stuff on there. And it was amazing to see the kind of money that these people would spend on themselves. Um, you know, they had Lamborghinis, which was always one of my favorites growing up as a teenager. I always said, you know, uh, it, well, if you're interested, I mean, you may not be interested, but you're going to listen to it anyway. But it used to be my favorite car, y'all. I always said, when I get rich, I'm going to own me a Lamborghini. And so um, uh, that's probably waiting in me for heaven because I'm never going to see that Lamborghini on this side of heaven and chances are probably not going to get it in heaven either. So it's just an old dream. But when you would see these people, they would have expensive cars. You know, they would have lavish homes that um, just ungodly. I mean, just really ridiculous, to be honest with you. They have beach homes in the Caribbean and, you know, mountain houses in the Alps and so forth. I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And to be honest with you, to me, the kind of wealth that some of these people had is just unbelievable. Um, my dad always had a funny saying <laughs> whenever we see, whenever we see that show, and uh, especially like now with athletes making millions of dollars and that kind of stuff, he, his thing he always says, he says, ain't nobody worth that kind of money. Ain't nobody worth that kind of money. And you know what? He's, just, he's exactly right. Ain't nobody worth that kind of money. But um, how many of you remember the catchphrase from that show? Does anybody remember the catch? There's a catchphrase with lifestyles of the rich and famous. Nobody, nobody remembers the, oh my word, y'all, I got to teach you something today. Does anybody remember the guy who hosted the show? Robin Leach, that's right. He was a, he was an guy, that's right. But the catchphrase was champagne wishes and caviar dreams. That's right. Just take somebody just to kind of stir you up. Well, in my life, I have sweet tea wishes and filet catfish dreams because it's not even close, you know. 
Because there's two things I don't like. I don't like alcohol. If you know me, I can't stand the taste of alcohol. And caviar is about the nastiest thing. It's worse than, it's worse than alcohol. If you've ever had caviar, I've tried it on a cruise. And, and how people like that stuff, just they ain't right. they just not right. There ain't no other way to say it. But, you know, Robin Leach, if you ever watch that show, and if you haven't, you need to go and YouTube that show. Because they have old shows on there. And Robin Leach, he really made that show what it was. He had, he was an Englishman from London. Um, he had the accent. I mean, he just fit that part. I mean, he really made it interesting. He, he had a different spin on things. And he would, and he had a, a way in which to tell the story of how these people were able to attain all this wealth. But do you know as, much as I watch that show, and I think it came on Saturdays, if I'm not, is it a Saturday or Sunday? But we watched it every week. Do you know how many of those people that they showcase that I remember? None of them. Do you, does anybody remember? I mean, those of y'all who watched it, and if you were born after 1984, you probably don't remember it, of course, but I don't remember a single person that they showcased. Well, we'll come back to that in just a little bit. Okay, we're going to turn into Galatians five sixteen through 23. <clears throat> so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide you, guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And this is a very important point here. These two forces are constantly fighting one another. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, how many of you, and and I'm showing my age once again because y'all don't really have real cartoons these days. Sorry, kids. But Tom and Jerry, how many of you remember Tom and Jerry growing up? Oh, you didn't know about Lifestyles of Rich and Famous, but you know Tom and Jerry, right? Well, I can remember this one episode where Tom and Jerry, Tom was a cat, Jerry was a mouse, and they was always chasing uh, after each other. Or, you know, Jerry was always just, he was just a bully and, and Tom was just tired of him, you know. Well, Tom had this, had this one good cat, the angel cat on this side, and then he had like the devil cat on this side and you know it's always if you, if you had to reference that scripture and of course that's you know you don't have a devil on this side and you don't have an angel on this side but you're always going to have a conflict you know you're always going to have your sinful self you know trying to tell you i satisfy you satisfy your physical part you know but then the spiritual side of things says no nah, that's not that's not going to satisfy you so these two forces are constantly fighting each other okay But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, though, are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, first off is, who has the Holy Spirit? Anyone? 
Bueller, Bueller, anybody remember that show? We should, right? We as believers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. So our fruit should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And I love this one. This is probably one of the ones that typically gets overlooked. And I'll really hone in on it today. Is self-control. There is no law against such things. Now, title of the series we're on is What the World Really Needs. Now, I'll tell you now that the Lord convicted me. How many 16-year-olds do we have in here? Raise your hands real quick. Anybody that's 16, 15, 16 years old? There you go. Miss Brown says, I'm 16 again. That's right. She's... She's his character. But we do. We have some 15, 16, 17-year-old, you know, teenagers in the room. And I will tell you, when I was your age, when I was your age, and I'll tell you later on of how God convicted me as a teenager and has constantly reminded me throughout my life that there is one area that I have control over, and that's my lifestyle. Lifestyle is defined in this way. It is the way in which a person lives. And even Bill hit on it last week when we were talking, when he was talking about the selfie mode that we're in these days. And I chose these two words to describe today's society very intentionally because wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction according to scripture, right? But what is the path? Narrow. Narrow is the path that leads life. Well, these days, broad and wide seems to be the definition of how a person can live their life. And, you know, the bad thing is the way we as Christians have been taught and should be taught according to God's word. A lot of times we're going to look judgmental. You know, we're going to look biased or racist or, you know, you're inconsiderate of my situation or my circumstances or, you know, how how they should feel. You know, today's society says, uh, hey, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. Depending on what you want to identify yourself as. And to be honest with you, the moment that we object to that as Christians, then we're the ones that seems to have the problem. But now, let me explain something to you. I am a simple mind, simple product kind of guy. What you see is what you get with me. I don't try to, I'm not an analytical mind. I'm pretty simple. So for me, there's really not an argument to be had. For me, if you question who you are, you simply go to the mirror. And you look in that mirror. And you see who God created you to be. And then you need to focus on how God, how the Lord Jesus Christ made you. And you need to live it out according to those aspects. That's just the way I view things. Right or wrong, that's just what God has laid upon my heart to tell you today. Because here's the deal. When you go about trying to create or recreate yourself, it's almost like you're telling God he's a liar. That he didn't know what he was doing when he created you. 
when that's just the opposite. God knew exactly what he was designing when he designed you. I can't do the same things. Look at Jamal. Jamal is, he's huge. I mean, there's no way. He played football, you know, ain't nobody beating up on this body. Huh? They can go beat up on Jamal because he, he played football. Rick, same way. You ain't beating up on me. Even within males, there's a difference, right? Let me tell you a reason why the enemy doesn't want you to know who you are. It's because as long as he has you in conflict of who you are, what you are, whatever, you'll spend the rest of your life defending it. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing it. And you'll spend the rest of your life trying to be something that you were never created to be. And for me, as a believer, that's the story. Instead of condemning someone for their lifestyle that someone needs to hear is because it really is heartbreaking to realize that they'll never be what God really wanted them to be. They'll never have that full satisfaction within their life. Now, let's go back and let's look in. Uh, if you got your Bibles, I won't turn back too much. But uh, if you go back and you look at the lifestyles of those who who don't have the Holy Spirit, and we'll, I'll reference a little bit back what Bill said last week about this whole selfie mode that we're in. If you think about those attributes sexual immorality impurity lustful thoughts that list right there when we satisfy that those things who gets the glory for it who gets the glory does god or does me well i get the glory for it satan really gets the glory for it god doesn't get the glory when we have those things in our life Take, for instance, like sexual immorality. And I want to speak to young teenagers today. Today's society says, hey, have as much sex as you can with as many people as you can and just go at it. That's what society tells you. And it is perfectly fine because you need the experience, right? Well, that is a total lie from hell. Because of the fact that sex was designed for a husband and his wife in those parameters. And who gets glory when you use it inside those parameters? Well, God gets the glory for one. But in two, you and your spouse get to enjoy one another. There's nothing wrong with sex as long as it's used within the proper parameters. Here's what you and I always need to pay attention to is this. The enemy will always offer a counterfeit to the things of God. He always does. He always, always will offer a counterfeit. Sex is a gift of God for man and his wife. Using them outside of those parameters is contrary to the will and purpose that God has created sex for. Plain and simple. Now, if you go back and if you look at those lists right here, and then you kind of compare them to this list right here, you will see the counterfeit in the previous list for each one of those. And we'll go through them real quick. Sex is the counterfeit for love. When sex is applied 
in the right, right relationship, it truly is a gift from God. But don't you find it kind of strange that sex, when used in the wrong way or used improperly, it's not a gift anymore. I've known countless friends of mine who gave away their virginity back in high school. And you know, the number one thing they always told me is they had guilt. If you use something in the right realm, you won't have guilt. Eagerness for lustful pleasure is the counterfeit for joy. True joy comes from the Lord. Otherwise, all you're doing is just chasing that counterfeit. Hostility and quarreling, jealousy and outburst of anger is the counterfeit for peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Selfish ambition and divisions and, you know, another translation said, you know, feeling like everybody's wrong except for those in your particular group. And envy is a counterfeit for goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And now, the last group of sins, when it talks about drunkenness and wild parties, that kind of stuff, is going to be the counterfeit for that one right there in self-control. And I want uh and I'll I will preface this what I'm about to tell you as is this is I in this message I didn't preach to any particular person in this room. Okay? I'm just gonna tell you what God gave me to get to tell you, and I believe it's hundred percent truth. And what you do with it is totally up to you. Okay. But, like I said before <clears throat> about alcohol, alcohol is not something that I, I like. And I know some of you like to have a little drinky-drinky. Don't you? Yeah, I know. I know a lot of you like to have a little drinky-drinky. But let me ask you a question. Where does alcoholism begin? Where does drunkenness start? It starts with one dream, right? It starts with one dream. I will tell you this because I have authority in this area based on the way I was raised. Not that my parents were alcoholics or anything like that, but my mother was raised in an alcoholic home. And I will tell you this, as God is my witness, she never got over her father's alcoholism. And the effects from it. They affected my mother till the day that she died at 61 years of age. My mother and her brothers endured what I would consider horrible situations. They faced bullying at school because their dad would drink their money away. My mother in high school had two outfits that would last her all year long. She'd wear one outfit Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The other outfit on Tuesday and Thursday. The next week, she would flip-flop it. And she faced so much bullying, but she didn't have much of a choice. Because old dad was drinking the money away. My mother saved her own mother's life. Brought her back to life after my grandfather shot 
my grandmother. So I stand before you today in the area as a witness and testimony from my mother who shared countless stories with me, the effects of alcoholism. And to think, and I'll be honest with you, I cringe to think that a parent could be so selfish. I will tell you, I'm 47 years old. I've never heard someone who's dying of cancer say, I'm glad I had that cigarette. I'm glad I started smoking when I was a teenager. I never heard an alcoholic who was recovered saying, boy, I'm glad I took that first drink. Do you still think how you live and how your lifestyle isn't important? It is absolutely important. You know, the sad truth is, and Bill hit on it last week, is how is the church of Jesus Christ any different? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't know where we went wrong, but for some reason, we view God as like an accessory. Now, he's like that necklace that we can put on and take off. And, you know, we can come in and we can sing and raise our hands and, you know, but our lifestyle the rest of the week says just the opposite. Our lifestyle sometimes says, well, I love me. Listen, if we're reserved to giving God a little shout out on Facebook every once in a while, and we show up to church maybe, you know, one Sunday a month, maybe two if we're lucky to, to be blessed by your presence. Um, folks, I hate to tell you, we missing the mark. My wife and this guy right here, James, came up a few weeks back for prayer. And James was telling me this morning that his heart rate was so low that just couldn't, I mean, it wasn't 50 beats a minute. I mean, it was, it was awful. Made him feel bad and everything else. He came up here and praying and got prayer and God healed him. His heart, now it's been about three weeks ago, I think he said, hasn't been below 70. He's felt great. And it's just a testimony of prayer. My wife has had this issue going on with her ear and they thought it was in her brain or whatever. We went through tests, CAT scans, MRIs and everything and got the results back from MRI this week and it was clear it was normal. But the encouragement that these two individuals have given us as a body of believers, that's why the body of Christ is so important. That's why it's so important for us to be here. You know, the thing about it is this, is Hebrew ten twenty five says this. It, it addresses, you know, why we should be here. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Do you think that's encouraging? James, are you encouraged? Absolutely. He's encouraged. Is my wife? In- Absolutely. You know, Mike stops her at the door, gives her a hug, tells her, praise God, you know, that they had a, a man that has encouraged the text and stuff that this came through. It's just been simply amazing. But can I ask you a question? Do you know how hard it is to encourage someone if they're never here? Do you know that? That's pretty tough, isn't it? And, um, and by the way, that ain't Bill's job and it's not Steve's job. And see, I don't get paid by the church, so I can tell you this stuff, and it don't bother me. (laughs) 
But it ain't their job, y'all. It's not the leadership's job of this church to try to chase you down. You and I, as believers, should have a desire to be with other believers. That's just the way I believe. I love seeing you guys. I love each and every one of you. I love seeing you, and I miss you when you're not here. I truly do. I truly miss you. And I notice when you're gone, but I ain't going to chase you down either. You know, if you've been gone a while and you typically are here, then, yeah, you probably will hear from me. Any other teaching that says you go do whatever you want to in your lifestyle, and it's not important to be in church, or it's not important to be with other believers, is not biblical teaching, y'all. Just plain and simple. My mother was known as a person who would give truth, and I admire my mother, as you can tell, tremendously. My mother had a way, and she didn't always tell it the right way. She would always give you truth. And, um, but I can remember one time, I can remember one time my mother confronted one of her best friends over a sin. And it was very, my mother told me, she said, when I talk to her about this sin, it's not going to be good. Because I know it will change our relationship. And I was like, well, why would it change your relationship, Mama? She's a believer. That's what the Bible says. If you, you know, Matthew 18, if you got a problem, you go to them and, you know, you come back and, you know, everything should work out. Well, that ain't always the case. A lot of times people don't like you to confront the sin because you're being judgmental, right? Well, my mother went to her, told her about the effects that this particular sin was not only going to have on her and her family, but another person in their family. And then even that, her church family. And of course, my mother predicted it right. It, the relationship was never saying the friend got mad. And um, I, I don't know if she talked to my mom, maybe here and there. Um, but I will say this. My mother passed away from the effects of cancer. And I can remember that procession, uh, the visitation that we had the day before we buried my mom. That thing had to be at least two and a half, three hours long. There were so many people that came through that line. And it showed me the importance of being involved with other people's life. Okay, for one. But, you know, the only person that I can remember coming through that line was this lady. This lady came through the line. And here's what she told me. She said, Mark, and I think she knew I knew because my mom had, and I had a special relationship. She told me probably too much, to be honest with you. But uh, but anyway, she told me, she said, Mark, you know, I never realized how good a friend I had in Mary Wide because she was willing to tell me the truth even when I didn't want to hear it. And I told Becky, I said, let me tell you something. If If that... Is a testimony that I would love to carry on and carry that torch for my mother. I want to be that type of person that if I that I love you enough to be able to tell you the truth, and then whatever you want to do with it, it's up to you. Uh, but I want people to know I love them. Main point I want to make: God is not an accessory to your life; He is your life. So, I found this the other day. 
And it really, really resonated with me. Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, and the best advisor, the best counselor, but yet he failed. The problem is not the leadership of the church that you go to or the church that you go to. If your attitude or your character doesn't change and your heart doesn't transform, you will always be the same. And if your lifestyle, if your lifestyle from the time that you were lost to the time that you give your heart to Jesus Christ, y'all, if it hasn't changed, if it hasn't transformed, there's a problem. There is a serious problem. Back some years ago, we as a church, we came up with this list of rules that would define us as a church and, you know, how, how things come and they go. But one thing that I will tell you that resonated with me is that we want to be a church who always are able to tell the stories of God. We don't want to be just the one, oh, well, that happened over in India. That's great. You know, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, oh, God calls the blind to see over in India or Zimbabwe or something. No, you know what? I want to see somebody heal from blindness here. You know, I want to see that sort of stuff happen right here in Chester. Why does it have to happen overseas all the time? Why can't it happen here? Well, let me tell you about a story of God that happened. And it's not a big flashy story. Okay. But to me and the leadership of this church, these are stories that build our faith and what we teach, what we share, the way we counsel, the way we advise people. There was a young couple that came in and they were part of a, of a business and they came in. Uh, we used to have a, a banquet each year. And so this young couple came in with this banquet working and, uh, and so, you know, we used to have a big old thing. It was once a year and they came in and man, it was just something different. So they kind of, kind of piqued their interest, kind of says, mm, you know, there's something different about this. I ain't never been to a church like this, you know? So anyway, they came back and visited for a few weeks and you know, for long, they really, their kid, their, their son really enjoyed it. And, uh, so they got started getting more involved, and for long, guess what happened? They got saved. Now, this young couple, and we knew it as leaders, we knew what was going on. They were living together. They they were not married. They had one child together. They were on government assistance because, you know, the government makes it a whole lot better if you're not uh, married. It's, it's actually better if you're not married, you know, because you can qualify for government assistance and that kind of stuff. But, you know, we had a time we said, look, you know, now that you're saved, that's the biggest thing. Otherwise, you're just trying to fix somebody's lifestyle. You're never going to fix somebody's lifestyle. It may, they may do it out of obligation, but their heart is not behind doing it. So anyway, they got saved, talked to them about getting married. It's like, man, financially, that's just stupid. There's just, you know. Financially speaking, that's the stupidest thing we would ever do. Well, you got to trust us. You got to trust God and his word that what he says is true. 
and watch. Sure enough, they decided to get married. And it may have been reluctantly, but they decided to get married. And y'all, it is amazing to see just one step of obedience, how it started snowballing. You know, guy got a promotion at work. Sooner or later, they were able to move to a different home. And I'll, I'll tell you, their life wasn't all peaches and cream after they got saved and got married. Okay, I've been in the living room with them crying on the floor over heartbreaking and heart-wrenching decisions and counseling them through that kind of stuff. But today, if you were to look at their life, you would think, wow, you know, that is simply amazing, especially if you know the story behind this young couple. So I talked to him this week and I said, hey, I won't bring up your name, but do you mind if I share your story? He said, yeah, I don't care. You can tell my name. It don't make me any difference. I'm, I'm praying, thankful the Lord did what he did in my life. And I said, what did it for you, man? What did it for you? He said, well, it's simple. He said, first, I had to trust God. First and foremost, I had to trust God. He said, next important thing I did is I trusted you as the leadership and trusted you knowing that you had my best interest at heart, that you were telling me the truth, and that you wouldn't tell me a story. Because I knew y'all had seen the stories of God and been able to tell the stories of God. And that's why it's so important for this to happen consistently, not once a month, not twice a month if we're blessed to see your presence and your pretty little faces. Consistently, James is testimony. Becky says, I believe William is going to be a testimony for what, how it is important for us to gather as God's people. I told you guys earlier at the beginning of the message how God really impressed me when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old and the importance of having a God lifestyle. Do you know where it all actually started at, though? It actually started with a song back when I was a teenager I listened to anything most of you know I like Queen most of you know I used to listen to rock and roll heavy metal rap I was not prejudiced in what I listened to I loved it all somebody I shouldn't listen to probably still don't need to listen to a lot of it but the one thing that God did give me was uh, a group named DC Talk Decent Christian Talk, I think is what it stood for. But DC Talk, if if you guys are know today, Toby Mack, um, Michael Tate, I think he's with the Newsboys now, and a guy named Kevin Mack. So it's two, two white guys and a black guy. And they had a group named DC Talk. And they had a song, What If I Stumble? And this thing right here, they had this guy reading this. And this thing right here transformed my life as a teenager it says the greatest single cause of atheism which atheism atheism basically means that if you you know you don't believe in god you don't like god or whatever you're just totally against god the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is christians who acknowledge jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny them by their what by their lifestyle that last sentence is 100% true. That is truly what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And you know what? They have a right. 
they are to have a right to see in my lifestyle, in your lifestyle, if you profess to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, they are to be a see a difference. Plain and simple. There should not be an unbelieving world says, Mark White, I cannot believe that you do. Let me ask you a question. What would my credibility be if I'm up here preaching to you today and last night half of you saw me at Food Line with two cases of beer coming out the door? Hmm. Right. Zero. Exactly. Exactly. Let me explain something to you. Listen very carefully. Your lifestyle makes a difference, y'all. It makes a tremendous difference. Here's the thing that you ought to ask yourself. Does my lifestyle reflect that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or does it deflect? Because if it deflects, there's a problem. And you know what? Self-control is huge. You and I, we have a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is huge. It's our choice, folks. Title of the message, if you go back to it, lifestyles of the rich, you and I, if we have Jesus Christ, we are rich. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things, y'all, are far more rich, make us far more rich than gold. Don't get famous, though, because when you look to be famous, that's when your pride comes in. Instead, make him famous in how we live. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. We thank you for allowing us to be your people. Father, I thank you for each and every one that is in this room today. Lord, you know who needed to hear this message. And for me, it was not an easy message sometimes to deliver. But God, I want to be your donkey today, just like it says in Numbers I want to be able to see the things of God and be able to tell you, tell your people what it is that you want them to hear. So, God, today, I know we've touched on a lot of things with our lifestyle, from drinking to smoking to, you know, the way we talk, the things that we do, uh, Lord, the sins that we covet. Uh, Father, forgive us first. Forgive us in Jesus' name. Father, help us to exhibit self-control as your people. That we would be a people that the world could see, that an unbelieving world can see, hey, there is a definite difference in these folks. There's a difference. What is that difference? I pray that that unbelieving world would look upon us and not say, man, that's unbelievable, the way that that person lives. I pray that they see a difference. God, help us to make you famous. Help us, help us to be a people who realize that we are rich in your spirit, not monetarily, but we are truly rich in spirit. Father, help us to be able to share in the way that we talk to one another, the things that we do in our personal lives when no one else is looking. Father, thank you for conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.